Greetings, welcome, and good day. You are now tuned into the 15th episode of the Season Vet Podcast. I'm so happy you could make it to another chapter of the show. This week, we're joined by a groundbreaking mechanical engineer who refused to be confined to an engine room. Olivia Grant Cream's journey in the Coast Guard began with a flyer in the mail and ended with her being one of the first black ladies to serve as an engineering officer. Olivia may have had the privilege of serving as an officer, but of course, even that didn't shield her from experiencing multiple rounds of racism. This former lieutenant is the first academy graduate I've had on this show, and I'm so glad she sat down with me because I learned so much about this institution over the course of this interview. Lieutenant Grant Cream completed her time with the U.S. Coast Guard in 2012, and since then has gone on to offer her wisdom in several other capacities, one of which is with her compelling podcast, where she introduces ordinary women who have defied the odds as they navigate their professional careers as an only. So it's only right that I named this episode after her show. That's why this week's episode is titled, Embracing Only. Friend! Hey, so, uh, friend, what is your uh, connection to the service? Well, um, I am a Coastie. Uh, so Woo-woo. I graduated. Hello? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. I was cheering for you because I'm a Coastie, too. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I went to the uh, academy. So I'm, what did they used to call us? Ring knockers? That, that whole thing? So... Yeah, I graduated from the academy in 2004, and uh, oh my god, that was like a million years ago, um, and majored in mechanical engineering, so I wow. spent you know, most of my time on ships down in the Caribbean doing counter-drugs and migrants, and, and in my downtime, some port engineer stuff, and it was it was a blast. Oh my god. Oh, the Coast Guard Academy. Nice. Yep. So... <laughs> If you don't mind my asking, did you get like a, a kind of scholarship there, a partial scholarship? No, there was no scholarship. And I don't even know if the Coast Guard Academy does scholarships, honestly. Oh. So it, you you go through this whole process. It's a pretty rigorous process to get in. And then once you get in, you know, the academy itself, you don't have to pay for. I think there's a small uh, entrance fee to pay for like books and your laptop and things like that. But the, the benefit of it is you graduate with no, with no student loan. So right. you didn't need any scholarships because you owed five years of service once you graduated. So that's how they they, get you. Okay, that's how they got it back. Yeah, that's how they get it back. (laughs) That makes sense. That makes sense. And that shows how much I know about the uh, Coast Guard Academy after having worked with so many Coast Guard Academy graduates. (laughs) Oh, I mean, no worries. I think you guys give us such a hard time when we get out in the field. We don't really talk about it much, you know? (laughs) Oh, we give y'all a hard time? Okay. Okay, Olivia, I see you. (laughs) All right. So were you the first in your family to join the service or uh, were you setting a trend or following one? Yeah, so my my family, we're a family of immigrants. So I was born in Jamaica. Get it. And my father was a cadet in Jamaica. You know, it's kind of like Jamaica's version of ROTC. But he never joined a service. And so when we migrated to the States, my brothers were really not interested in doing anything like that. But, you know, as an immigrant family, I knew as the first one to go off to college that there wasn't really a ton of money set aside for a college fund or anything like that. So I would need to either get a scholarship 
scholarship um, academically or with sports. I played soccer, so I knew I had to work one of those angles or figure something else out. And luckily for me, like I said, I got that flyer for the Coast Guard Academy. I knew I wanted to be an engineer, so I did their their summer engineering program and fell in love with it. So I was the first in the family to serve. The Coast Guard got you with a flyer in the mail? They sure did. That is the, cheap. That was so. the most effective recruitment story I've heard. <laughs> Super effective. There, I'm telling you, they got the Coast Guard got its money worth with that flyer. <laughs> they sure did. But I, the program, and I, you know, I'm ashamed to say I don't know if it exists today, but it was targeting minorities because, of course, there's not a ton of minorities and there's not a ton of women mm -hmm. um, that choose to follow this path and so it was really the program was was called might it was their minority introduction to engineering program oh. and so they were kind of spamming all the high school you know the high schools that that had like specialty programs for engineering or like these prep programs where you could take college you know pr get college credit before you go off to college in math or science and so that's how i got a hold of the pamphlet because they were specifically targeting minority engineers uh, so so it was very effective wow they did their research they did <laughs> <laughs> and it worked Okay, so the Coast Guard was your first branch of service then? Yes. All right, it was your first choice in branch of service. All right, cool, cool, cool. Uh, how do you feel about your time in uniform? Does any particular uh, time period stand out? I mean, gosh, this is such a loaded question. Here's <laughs> what I would say. The Academy was not fun. Um, it was, and now let me, let me explain myself. Really? All the white guys I talked to say they had a blast in the academy. What, what's your deal? <laughs> well, I mean, they may, have a, they may have had a little bit better time than I did, but. Um, All the white guys really... I talked to said they had the time of their life. They would absolutely do it again. <laughs> oh my God. I, at this age, knowing what I know now. Right. I, you know, knowing what I know now, I'm, I'm not sure I would sign up for that all over again. But at the time, I will say it was extremely challenging academically. Okay. Right. So I, um, I kind of breezed through high school, you know, always got straight A's, felt really good about my, my academics. As a matter of fact, I, I initially wanted to go to Georgia Tech or MIT. Ooh. So I was looking at kind of the big three engineering schools. So academically, I felt I could hold my own. Girl, I got to the academy. <laughs> I got my first C and I was like, what is this? <laughs> I do not get C. <laughs> I, I don't understand what that is. Um, so it was challenging. Challenging, but I think the programs were really designed to hammer the point home that you needed your classmates, that you couldn't do everything yourself. And because I'm hard-headed, it took me, you know, probably till junior year to figure this out. But I think that's what it was designed to do. And on top of that, right, like the first year, swab summer, they just beat on you. You can't look at your food. You're running everywhere. You know, you're rolling in goose poop. And Mia, you know, born in Jamaica, living in Florida, the winners were not my friend. So it, it was just, it was just challenging all around. Oh my God. This is the most, the most detailed Academy story I've ever heard. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. 
well, that's what it, that's what it was like. Thank you. Thank um, you for sharing. <laughs> of course. I mean, I will say, though, I had some pretty great classmates. Of course, there weren't a ton of minorities and there weren't a ton of females. And I think some of, you know, you hear some of the horror stories. And of course, those things, those things happen. But I will say shout out to the class of 2004. We had some pretty great people in that class. So my experience wasn't wasn't too awful. Of course, there were moments and bouts of racism. I I, uh, vividly remember getting into it with one of the professors there after she said something pretty racist and I refused to keep quiet about it. And then there was another incident where a noose was found on a cadet's rack. Wait, that Um, was your year? I heard about that. Yep. Yep. No, I did hear about that. Wow. You were around for that. Yeah. So, so there were, you know, unfavorable situations that, that like that, but overall, I would say the experience was pretty positive. And then most notably, I would say, you know, I went out into the field and I happened to be stationed in Mississippi when Katrina rolled through. Wow. Um, so that was, <laughs> that was another adventure. Um, you graduated the academy just to be on the rescue team for Katrina. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Yeah, but I will say, if you want purpose, if you want to be grateful and feel good about the work you do, I would say that's what I took away from that experience. Don't get me wrong. It was hard. At the moment, it was pretty awful, you know, being on the ground, kind of some of the first responders, because we followed the storm up, right? We, Mm -hmm. We went east and south and then followed the storm, you know, followed behind the storm as it made landfall um so we were on site pretty shortly after it passed and the sights and smells are something i'll never forget but what i will say is the display of humanity and how everyone in blue when we didn't know if our families had made it if our homes had made it it like what was going on because all the cell towers were down you couldn't get a hold of anyone the streets were torn up we couldn't get home so even while we were concerned about our own selves and our own families being able to rally and do the mission and help as many people as possible is, is pretty incredible that is incredible you're from Florida, so is it safe to say that your family made out okay for for the storm? Yes, yes. Oh, okay, my family good, made good. it. Um, my car did not make it, but honestly, I chalked that up. I was like, whatever. If, a, if one wow. car <laughs> yeah. um, is the only damage I have, I'll take it because some, some folks lost everything. So I, I came out of it pretty, pretty blessed. Right on, right on. Have you been to New Orleans since the storm? I have. You have? Yep. Good, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's, it's a pretty amazing city when, when it's not underwater. Yeah. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> I just happened to have a, a small, small story real quick. I was in New Orleans at the time of Katrina. I was also at my, uh, at my first duty station in the uh, Air Force. So I was a service member living in New Orleans at the time of Hurricane Katrina. But since I was, oh, a, wow. but since I was a reservist, I wasn't like on call or anything. So I actually had the advantage of just being able to leave town. So that was my story. And you're right. A lot of us did lose everything. I, man, I lived on the first floor of my apartment building. (laughs) Oh no. Did you lose everything? Everything. And girl, I had just moved in two weeks earlier. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh no. That was all this stuff that got washed up. (laughs) 
Oh man, I had a summer job that that was paying like a lot, so I could buy like all new stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's incredible that we can laugh about it now. Yeah, now now right? I can laugh about it. It's been almost 20 years. It's hilarious. But, like, at the time, I was like, man, I just paid for all this. Yeah, yeah. At the, it's, it's rough. I'm telling you. It makes you – here's the lesson that Katrina taught me. No matter how bad it gets, this too shall pass. Right. That's yeah, Right? I, I walked away with that as well. You lose stuff. You didn't lose yep. yourself. Like you can exactly. rebuild, you can you can recover. That stuff, exactly. fine, whatever. So, how do you think your experience in uniform could have been improved? Well, I mean, and I'm going to make a joke here. I mean, the racist stuff could have really just <laughs> we could have just avoided that. We could have done without that. <laughs> Honestly, outside of that, I think I think my experience was was probably pretty great. But I think you know. All branches of military, we're just a microcosm of society, right? Facts. Um, and even though we have a joint mission, people come into the service, all services, with all sorts of baggage, right? Right. right. And you would hope that people would leave that baggage behind and realize we're all wearing blue, we're all on the same team, we're all here trying to achieve the same goal but sometimes the inherent biases and the baggages is the baggage as humans that we bring into a space follow us mm -hmm. um and it's difficult to overcome those so you know in terms of now i still have friends that are in the coast guard and the experiences they're having these days i'm like good lord i would not have made it um <laughs> But as far as back in the 2000, you know, from when I entered the academy in 2000 to when I separated in 2012, I had a pretty decent experience. Okay. But just like less racist crap. Yeah. Can we just, can we just not be racist? <laughs> that, that would be great. It'd be awesome. That makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, since we've now brought it up, I did have a few numbers I wanted to run by you that I thought would be interesting. Uh, before okay. before we got on, I did do a little uh, a small amount of research. I went to a military.com, and according to military.com in 2020, a whopping 42% of service members of color turned down an assignment or PCS orders due to concerns about racism and discrimination, even when they knew doing so would could negatively affect their careers. Oh, yeah. The article goes on to say about 33% of active duty uh, military families and 34% of veterans in the service reported concerns about racial and ethnic discrimination were factors in conversations with their families about whether or not to stay in the military. The racism and discrimination is just embedded so deeply that it's a part of the decision-making process for people of color to even stay in or to take orders for assignments. Mm -hmm. Imagine joining a branch of service and pledging to protect a group of people. And one of your biggest concerns is being attacked by the people that you've pledged to protect. hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, it's... I'm... I'm shocked that the numbers are, you know, I'm shocked, but I'm not shocked, right? Um, this is something that 
people of color, and for me, I can only speak of, about my group, but Black people in particular, this is our day-to-day lives, yeah. right? The, yeah. It's part of the decision-making process, whether you're in corporate America, which is where I am now, whether you're in the military, whether you're in the police force, where, whether you're a firefighter, it's a constant and ever-present threat in our mm-hmm. lives, even mm-hmm. so much so that these are conversations that we're having with our children yeah. from a very, very young age. So it's it's really kind of gross when you think about it. Yeah. And you have to think about the people that decide that they want to serve their country. We know, we know uh, without even seeing the data that we're going to have some of these very same experiences because these experiences have been part of our life, our entire lives, yeah. right? It's just something that you're kind of like, all right, well, this is where I live and this is, you know, the experience that tends to happen. I can hope to God that I avoid it, but more than likely something like this is going to happen. And you have to ask yourself, how do you choose to respond to it? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But you, you know, I have so much respect for anyone who decides to put on a uniform, Um, but even more so for people that fall into kind of a protected class, because you know that you're going to serve just as well, just as loyally, just as devoted as your white counterparts, and you're going to get a tenth, if any, of the respect for doing so. Right. That's exactly right. And to do it anyways, I mean, that's something that you really have to be like, man, thank you for your service (laughs) when you think about that, because you know it's, it's very thankless for us. Thank you for your service and your sacrifice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, here are the last two numbers I'll share from that article. 57% of active duty family respondents reported uh, military-connected peers making racist jokes, and 46% said that they have been the subject of slurs or jokes in their military community. So not only are we in danger on a regular basis, not only is this a part of our conversation and decision-making process to even stay in the military, it's also just a part of everyday life. 57% of people of active duty families uh, saying that they've heard racist jokes and 46% saying that they've been the butt of those jokes. So when we're not getting attacked, we're getting made fun of just because of who we are. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's It's a tragic story. It's disgusting. It is. And I will tell you, there. I mean, I'm not proud of this, but I'll have to share. share. I've evolved since since this incident. But um, on, personal keep, in mind, I'm, <laughs> keep, keep in mind, I'm Jamaican, so I'm, I'm kind of feisty. But my, I will tell you, my, my freshman year at the academy, I had someone that I played a sport with say to me, something pretty awful but she made a joke and i can't actually remember the joke now because all of these stupid jokes blur into one you know um but she said something to me um and kind of mocked me and i struck her i struck her nice um and what happened (laughs) you said that like you were ashamed of yourself i'm proud of you olivia (laughs) yeah i said you know it, it wasn't the greatest decision at the time. Like I said, I've evolved. Um, Why? You should have kept it, that. <laughs> in the moment, it was a teachable moment. I bet she'll keep that nonsense to herself uh, moving forward. But I got sent to anger management. And let me tell you, anger management did nothing but make me angrier. Um, because 
I got sent to anger management. She got nothing. Wow. Other than the punch to the face. Right. (laughs) So it's like, and there are so many articles. If you look at LinkedIn right now, there are a slew of articles. Um, Kimberly Young McClure is a dear friend of mine, and she's been a whistleblower for quite some time talking about the racist um, and the cover-ups and some of the things that, that the undercurrent of the Coast Guard that's happening and leaders that are not protecting all of their sailors. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you will see all of these articles about all of these incidents, whether it's the noose incidents or Mm -hmm. racist comments or racist professors Mm -hmm. or things being reported at the academy, things happening out in the field that are pretty egregious that when reported to command, people are more concerned about preserving the optics of what the Coast Guard is than actually preserving the safety Mm -hmm. and the psychological safety Mm -hmm. of the workforce, right? It's very, very gross. And Mm -hmm. I think those leaders, when you sign up to lead, the lives of the people in your charge those lives are your responsibility. Mm -hmm. Black, white, purple, blue, I don't freaking care. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them is your responsibility. And if you find out about something like that and you choose, whether it's racism, sexism, sexual assault, any of those things that have been running rampant in the service and you don't do anything about it, there is a special place in hell for you. Right. Thank you. And also, you just gave me a real big flex because I didn't know that you were friends with Commander McClear Young. Commander Young McClear. Young, she's she's wonderful. Oh my wonderful. god, <laughs> that was a flex. You breezed right by it. I caught it. <laughs> I, I don't know if that was a flex, but I think we just kind of travel in the same in the same circles. But she's a no, no, no. That was a good flex. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, she's. I and anyone listening, if you don't know who she is, oh I god. encourage you to look her up follow her on LinkedIn, talk about a courageous soul, talk about someone who is not afraid to fight for what she believes mm-hmm, in. Mm-hmm. Um, I would encourage you to go check her out. Every one of us can learn something, black, white, everything in between. Go check her out. All of us can learn something from her journey. Absolutely. And she just retired. She did. She did. And oh my God, what what a story. Like mm-hmm. she went through all that and she stayed in. She was like, no, no, no. Y'all are going to give me this forever check. <laughs> she did. But, I you know, I, I will say this, though. It's unfortunate. She, she did choose to stay in and to stay in the fight. Yeah. Um, and I actually spoke to her. Uh, you know, I'll share a little bit about the, our podcast at the end here. But she was on our podcast. And what she shared with us is, you know, It's very easy when you're no longer living in the house to try to look back and make make updates to the house. And what I mean, when I say house, I'm using that as an analogy for the Coast Guard, right? Mm -hmm. The organization. Um, So when you're no longer in it. It's so much easier to say, oh, I experience X, Y, and Z while I'm in. We see this with politicians. We see this in the corporate world all the time. People wait until they've moved on to say, oh, guess what? This place is super jacked up after they're at a safe distance, right? Right. What's unique about her story is not only was she in the house, the house was on fire around (laughs) her. And she was like, you know what? Y'all are just going to have to be on fire because this mess needs cleaning. Now, what I tell people 
is oftentimes, you know, folks will look at a situation like that and say, oh, she's trying to tear down the house. She's trying to destroy the organization. She's trying to blow us up. But think about the love that you must have and the passion you must have for the mission to put yourself in harm's way just so that you ensure that change happens for the benefit of all of us that have been touched by this organization. That is an act of love, folks. That is not an act of terrorism. Wow. Love and courageousness. Absolutely. My goodness. A word. Okay, Olivia. (laughs) (laughs) Went went down a little path there. No, no, thank you. We we needed that path. I'm I'm keeping all of that. (laughs) Tell me about a time when you experienced something either good or bad that you know to be unique to you because you are a black woman. I mean, this is another one of those questions where I'm like, how much time do you have? Give it to Um, me. I got time. I mean, our experience as... And I kind of already mentioned this as a black female immigrant engineer, I was basically a unicorn. Yes, you are. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, there's not a whole lot of us in no. the service in general. And I'm not sure if you have those stats in front of you, but the numbers are low. I want to say it's like sub 5%. The numbers are very, very low. And when you layer on being in STEM on top of that, oh my God, the, <laughs> the numbers are like sub 2%. Right. For for people like me. Um, So every experience was pretty much unique and it was so unique. um, And I promise you, this is not a flex. It's just a fact. (laughs) But in 2009, um, Carrie Wolf, formerly Carrie C and I, became the first two black female engineer officers the Coast Guard had ever had in 2009. dude. That is a flex. All right. (laughs) You're not calling it a flex. I will. I'm saying it's a flex. Well, I'm saying <laughs> Thank it's not you. a flex because someone... You are Coast Guard royalty. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. Uh, so did you two Kim ladies Young make it at the same time? Is royalty. I, I was just doing my thing. I didn't even know. I mean, that wasn't a goal that I had set for myself. I was literally just doing my thing, you know? So, so to find out that that was just me just doing my thing and pursuing my own passions <laughs> led me here What is kind of a prime example of the uniqueness of this experience, right? Right. Um, and I, and I will double down and say this because I get women, I coach a lot of women in this new space, in the civilian space here. And a lot of women, um, especially black women, say, well, Olivia, how do you get the courage to go after something when you don't see anyone like you doing the thing that you want to do? To which I reply, stop looking for someone else to save you and you go be the example for the sister coming up behind you. Why do you need an example? Get it. I know that's right. I know that's right. Right? Yeah. You don't need it. If you just go out, if this is the thing that you want, I tell people all the time, and I'll get a little bit preachy on you, but God gave each of us, each of us have a purpose here on this earth, Mm -hmm. okay? And each of us have been given all the appropriate talents to fulfill our purpose. Those talents didn't get sent out in an email. 
They didn't get broadcasted by conference call. So if you're not seeing anybody doing the very thing that your heart and your mind is calling you to do, it's because it is your unique journey. Stop downplaying yourself and go live. You'll never, you'd be shocked to see who you inspire just by finding the courage to do the thing that your heart calls you to do. Get it. A word, Olivia. A word. (laughs) Oh, you better preach. <laughs> I, I'm here for the uh, the Church of Cream. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm here for it. Did you and that other sister make it at the exact same time? Or, like, did y'all know about each other? We did. So, Carrie, uh, another one of my dear friends, because, of course, there were, like, 12 of us uh, at the Academy roughly at the same time. So we all kind of know each other, and especially because she was another female engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, she she was like mama to me. So she was <laughs> class of 2002, I believe. If I mess that up, she's going to kill me. But I think she was two years <laughs> ahead of me. But she took me under her wing. I mean, her and her, her husband, Mike Wolf. I think Mike was either class of 2002 or 2003 as well. And the two of them kind of adopted us, you know, me and (laughs) and some others. um, And they showed us the ropes and took care of us. So when I was assuming that role, when I became EO of, of the Ventress in 2009, of course, she was one of my first phone calls. And she was like, oh, my God, I think she was going to vigorous. At some something in Virginia. Um, I can't. I can't remember it. I have, I'd have to look it up now. That was like a million years ago. Um, <laughs> but she was my first phone call. So we quickly realized that we were both going on this journey together. And this is her story to tell, so I won't go super deep into it. But she had also just given birth to her first child. Mm. So on top of being the first to do this and the challenges that come with that she was also a new mom and having to figure that out so um i was just grateful to have someone to share the journey with and to bounce ideas off of but but carrie is a warrior in her own right i love it i love every bit of it shouts out to miss carrie when you brought complaints up to your chain of command do you feel that you were heard I mean, no. <laughs> and here's the deal. I rarely brought complaints. Okay. I think it, it was, it, I learned that lesson at the academy that in, in a much like a lot of other spaces, your voices don't really get heard. Mm-hmm. And so I took the approach that either I was going to handle it myself, you know, minus striking people, learned my lesson there, um, <laughs> but either handle it yourself or figure a way around or through it. Um, was the approach I took. But I watched, you know, others try to utilize the system the way it was designed, and they continue to run into brick walls. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided it wasn't worth my my mental health. And, you know, anything that did come up, I tried to either handle it on my own, or I chalked it up to, well, this is something that's not within my control, and I didn't worry about it. Okay. Honestly, that makes sense. I feel like that is the norm because what kind of action is going to be taken when the person you're complaining about looks like the person you're complaining to? And there's a good chance that they're friends. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That makes sense. At the beginning of your career, when you needed guidance and mentorship, 
were those resources provided or did you have to seek them out? Yeah. So, I mean, I, and I'm talking broadly. Okay. So Mm -hmm. broadly across the Coast Guard, there weren't a ton of resources. Now, within the academy, we had a group called Eclipse. Or sorry, the Genesis Club, not Eclipse, (laughs) the Genesis Club. And the Genesis Club was really, it's like the minorities that had gone through the academy over time had formed, you know, the equivalent of it in the civilian space would be an employee resource group, right? Um, And so it was a resource group um, formed by the minorities that have gone through the academy. And, you know, Miss Miller, I'll never forget her. She worked there at the academy. She was a civilian. And it was her mission in life to make sure (laughs) we graduated. And she did everything in her power to make us as comfortable, get us the things that we needed. I mean, it was something as simple as you couldn't find hair products. At the, at the Coast Guard Exchange, of right? Course. So Miss Miller would be like, what do you ladies need? And she'd go shopping for us because, of course, we you know we had no way to get around. There was no Uber or anything like that back in the day. Um, so if you didn't have someone with a car that was willing to take you somewhere, you were, you were just stuck trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So she would do those kind of things for us. Through the Genesis Club, the older folks, whether so whether you were a freshman at the academy and the seniors and juniors would offer mentorship to you in that forum, or once you graduated, the folks that had graduated before you, they would still try to stay in contact. And that's really how you got your mentorship and your guidance through that network of minorities, you knew you had a safe place to reach out, to ask a dumb question, to, you know, <laughs> to call for help. That was kind of our own uh, community within the small Coast Guard community where you could go to for guidance. Okay. You had community. This We did. This is lovely. I, I love this for you. Okay, so you did have a little help, at least in the beginning. Yes, but you had to go seek it out. And, and for people like me, I was a ma- I was a stereotypical engineer. I mean, I was very introverted. I would rather cut off my left arm than go socialize and go ask for mentorship. I was like, no, thank you. I'll figure it out by myself. Remember, I told you it took me till junior year to figure out I needed to to use my classmates. So. Something like that was very, very helpful, but but you did have to raise your hand and say, "Hey, can I get a little get a can I get a little help here?" Right on. Okay. <laughs> Were you able to make friends with other Black Lady veterans? Were you purposeful about building your village? You said that you uh, had a few other classmates that were Black ladies. Not many. About twelve. <laughs> yeah. So it was twelve total. Okay. Like across all oh. grades, right so not just my classmates oh my bad. All of us combined so that's the um, freshman I, senior junior and sophomore yeah. class all of them all of them and i might be i might be exaggerating maybe wow you rounded up and it's still 12 right it might have been maybe like 18 but it definitely wasn't oh. any more any more than that and so yes we we all did end up being pretty close so carrie as i mentioned um nicole carter christy rutherford 
you know, my roommate, uh, Kita Namada, Kita Brino now, um, I can still list off these ladies because there were so few of us, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we did try to stay pretty close because although the guys are great, right, and they were there for mentorship, but there's, you know, there's a unique experience that you have as a black female that Mm -hmm. we needed each other to not just survive, but to thrive. Right. Also, did you just say that your roommate in college was a black lady? Yes. First of all. Not the entire time. Oh, I was Fresh, about to say. Freshman year. Freshman year, yeah. Okay. I was about to say, man, I love that for you, but also that they did that on purpose. <laughs> oh, 100%. Are you kidding me? Yeah, they were like, the two darkies, we'll put them there. All right, first of all, I love it, but that was also an act of racism. <laughs> I mean, what, honestly, it was whatever, because we could be ourselves in our room. So right, it, right. for one time, it worked out in our favor. There you go. <laughs> so how many uh, how many black ladies were you exposed? And I know, like, calling out a number isn't impossible in this situation, but over the course of your career, were you exposed to a lot of black lady veterans? I know you're a, a mechanical engineer, so I'm guessing where this, this answer is going. <laughs> You, you know the answer. <laughs> there were few of us going through. There were even few of us, more, you know, even fewer of us that graduated. And then by the time you hit the field, right, like people are dropping like flies. So right, right. Um, there were very, very few of us. But the ones that did remain, I mean, I will say this, even the folks that that I wasn't as close with because there were many, many years ahead of me, like a, a Christy Rutherford, you know, Christy and I reconnected when we were both civilians and she's okay. still a mentor nice. to me today. Nice. <laughs> you know? And just the other day, I was working with Nicole Carter, who was also several years uh, ahead of me. So those relationships, even though there weren't many of them, they were deep, right? And I think Mm -hmm. these are relationships that no matter if you haven't spoken to someone in 15 years and you pop up, you know, everybody's willing to embrace you and reconnect and see how we can help and leverage each other's strengths. So it, it... it's for me, it's not the quantity of the relationships, it's the quality. And I will definitely mm-hmm. say the Coast Guard did bless us with um, pretty significant quality of these relationships. Right on, right on. I love that. Olivia, tell me a war story, a story where you were tested but came out on top. Tested. Let's see. <laughs> I mean, I, I was an engineer in the Coast Guard on 40-year-old vessels, so tested every day. Um, But I think I had mentioned this uh, a little earlier that I was in Mississippi when Katrina rolled through. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, that's probably the biggest war story because I was a student engineer. This is my first duty station, right? So I'm just trying to figure out which way is up at this point. Um, (laughs) And then to have this experience and you really get tossed into what I loved about the Coast Guard is unlike some of the other services, we're so small that you get so much much more responsibility so early in Mm -hmm. your career, right? Mm -hmm. You're entrusted with so much so early. And that lesson in leadership, like I mentioned, trying to keep our guys engaged, and it was guys, right? I was like one of two women on the ship or something. I can't remember. I think there was only two of us. But trying to keep the guys engaged, uh, trying to keep focus on the mission, 
while also trying to keep this 40-year-old vessel running and, you know, <laughs> not catching on fire and dying, um, is, is it teaches you some leadership lessons that serve me until this day. Um, I will tell you, I have, I have my sea service medal, which is, which was very, which was something I was very proud of. So your sea service medal for officers, it's five years or more that you spent at sea. Mm -hmm. I have it tattooed on my wrist and it's a constant (laughs) reminder. It is a constant reminder for me that no matter how bad things get here in the civilian world we're not getting shot at nothing's on fire nobody's sinking you're gonna be fine (laughs) that's why it's there right it's a constant (laughs) reminder so katrina as awful as it was i think really was a testimony to resiliency and i learned a lot watching the leaders the eo the captain the xo and how they managed us how they led us during that time those are some leadership lessons that i'll never forget and i think probably the other story this is warning this is going to be a debbie downer but the other story that sticks out in my mind i don't know if it's necessarily a war story but it's something that um comes to top of mind when I think about my time in the service. As I mentioned, we did a lot of migrant ops down Mm -hmm. in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes the American public doesn't really understand what it means to be a migrant. And we had this family, so we were operating, I think, off of Key West, and we picked up a group of migrants. And they were trying desperately, obviously, to to get to shore, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a family, a mom and dad and a child. And the little boy, I want to say, couldn't have been more than 10 or 11. And when you looked at him, you know, he looked like he had something wrong, like his head. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm not being funny here, but his head was was larger than it should be. And it was misshapen. Right. So you mm-hmm. knew something was up with the kid. And within I want to say within 24 hours of picking them up, the child died on the boat. Oh, man. And I could not. I mean, the, the noises this mother made when the child died, I'll never forget. And I, but even before the child died, I took an interest in them. um, And I just wanted to understand their story. So, you know, you're standing watch and you know, you're watching over trying to keep peace or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I talked to them, I wanted to know what could compel someone to do this with their child, right to migrate with their child. And what I found out is they attempted to migrate legally. But our immigration process takes years and years and years and years and mm-hmm, years. Mm-hmm. And their son was extremely sick. He had some kind of swelling of the brain. Um, and he was on a timeline. And if they were to wait to immigrate legally, their son would have died. And so in desperation to save their child, they sold everything they owned, everything they owned for a chance to buy this illegal ticket that they would get to U.S. soil to be able to get the treatment that their son so desperately needed. Well, of course, we intercepted them. They didn't make it, and he died on our decks. And I have goosebumps telling you this story, but it really made me two things. Think about how 
we don't know the true story when you hear these stories of migrants coming and people are like, oh, migrants are coming and they're illegal and that this, that's and the other. And there's this lack of empathy mm-hmm. for, hu- for other humans mm-hmm. in that dialogue. That's the first thing. The second thing is you really don't understand how privileged you are. Even facing all the racism and all the other things, and as a woman, you know, you get the sexism too, and all the mm-hmm. isms that we face. We are still in a place, in a in a in a space that is so privileged compared to other people in this world that it makes you stop and it makes you be grateful for the inconveniences in your own life. Mm. I think that's one that sticks with me. Wow. All right. That that was a lot to go through. Mm-hmm. I warned you it was a Debbie Down. <laughs> nope. Thank you. I needed to hear it. And I'm sorry, we needed to hear it. It was, it's very compelling. And 20, almost 20 years later, that story still sticks with you. Because Katrina was, in, two, yeah, Katrina was in 2005. It's about 18 years yeah. ago now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> getting old i'm sorry did i remind you you did (laughs) hey it's both of us okay (laughs) olivia what rank did you leave the coast guard as uh i left as a lieutenant right on so as a lieutenant you you ended up making rank a couple of times i want to say at least twice yes okay do you feel that the way that you were treated improved with rank oh god no no (laughs) No. Absolutely not. Nope. <laughs> All right. No, you, no, I believe you 100%. This is uh, not an uncommon answer. <laughs> yeah, no. No. <laughs> Unfortunately. Do you feel that improvement could have happened with uh, rank had you been a different race or gender? I mean, it'd be easy to say yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the truth is, I'm not a different race and I'm not a different gender. So I have no data. This is this is me as a former engineer mm-hmm. thing. I have no data to say yes or no. Now you can speculate based <laughs> on your experiences. Right. Because right. you're having experiences that your counterparts are, are not having. Um, so you could expect you you could speculate. Maybe it would have been better. But I hesitate to say because I have no data to prove that. Right on. Okay. <laughs> you should run for office. <laughs> ha, never. Are you kidding me? I'm too blunt. I wouldn't make it past the first round of anything. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Has there ever been a tough situation you were in where another sis- another sister helped you out or a situation where you helped out another sister? I mean, there's so many of those situations. Like I said, we we had our own little community. And if I'm honest, I had observed enough that I wasn't seeking help anywhere really outside of our little community or outside of my little network of trusted, trusted friends. Um, But I will say, and I had mentioned her a little bit earlier. So after I left the Coast Guard, 
Chrissy Rutherford, she's now a woman's career coach. You know, uh, she's an executive coach. She's a keynote speaker. She's doing all of these things. Of course she is because she's amazing. I had a chance encounter with her. Like we had lost contact. And if I'm honest, and she'll laugh when she hears this, I thought she was crazier than two left shoes when she was in the Coast Guard. Like <laughs> she, this, she, she was fighting everybody. Okay? <laughs> I love this lady already. <laughs> I was like, Chrissy, I, I am not your enemy, my love, but everybody was catching it. <laughs> when, after I graduated, you know, after I separated from, from the Coast Guard, she reached out, and I can't remember what she reached out about, but I, we had a chance encounter, and we were working on something together. And Chrissy was the one that really enlightened me to the fact that we create our realities, and anything that you want to achieve in this life, you can achieve, but it starts with what you believe you can do, right? Mm-hmm. And before Christy, I really feel like the reconnection with, with Christy was the universe realigning to be like, girl, you need a message. And so we're about to send a messenger that we know you're going to listen to because I'm hardheaded, right? So it sent me Christy um, to really put me on this path that accelerated my career. Had I not had that chance encounter with Christy, I wouldn't, I, I would argue that I would be well, well behind where I am today if it wasn't for that chance meeting with her um, and the inspiration and guidance she armed me with to be able to do pretty well in the civilian space. Nice. She really is motivational then. <laughs> oh my God, she's amazing. Another one, another recommendation. If you don't follow her, Christy Rutherford, Christy C.H., Christy Rutherford, uh, follow her on LinkedIn, follow her on Instagram. You will not be disappointed. She drops gems every day. (laughs) And especially she specifically is talking to women. Um, so if you're a woman and you're, you're looking for some inspiration or you're feeling stuck and you need some help, like go visit her page immediately. (laughs) I'm gonna look, I'm gonna look her up. I'm gonna do it. Seriously. Please do. Absolutely. (laughs) Tell me something you wish you had known before joining the service. Yeah, I, I think it's the academic piece for me. The, the academic rigors hit me like a ton of bricks. So I think I wish some would have told, someone would have told me two things. Mm-hmm. One, that I needed to be prepared to fight for myself. Mm-hmm. That no one was coming to save me. Mm. And that I needed to mentally prepare myself to fight for myself and that the academy is just a game, right? (laughs) They play these, they're not actually going to hurt you. Like you're not actually getting beat. Like all the screaming and yelling and running around is all part of the game. You'll be fine. I wish somebody would have given me that advice before (laughs) I had to figure it out myself. Um, But also, I think, you know, preparing for the academics, it would have been nice to understand really what that experience would have been like. Okay, so the academy was the first time you earned a C in, I'm guessing, your whole life. Like before then, you were a a straight A student, right? Yes. Okay, so... (laughs) I've listened to several episodes of your show. You are quite literally a genius. I feel like the Academy just made you work. <laughs> That's it. Like, you were already smart. You already had it. <laughs> you you keep saying that it's academically challenging. They just made you work. It was, al- I mean, it was already in you. You know, 
I, I would not label myself a genius because I think <laughs> I learn things every day, right? Like if you're not learning things every day, you're doing geniuses learn all the time. All the time. All the time. <laughs> I'm sticking to my but, answer, Olivia. You can you can argue all you want. <laughs> I I appreciate that. Um, but I, I am a, I think the gift, you're right. The gift that the Academy gave me is it taught me how to work. Um, because I wasn't used to working. I wasn't, I was used to be like, Oh, here's the concept. It's like, Oh, I got it. Right. Like I'm here and I practice it. Like I got it. Um, that, that did not work for me at the Academy. Like I had to actually put in work to be like, why cannot, like, it was so bad that I would have this little notepad. I would drive my roommates insane. I would have this little notepad and there, oh my God, differential equations or multivarious calculus, those two classes, Diffy Q. Oh my God. I still have nightmares about it. So those two classes, I struggled and, um, I would literally be working on these projects and I'm one of these people. I am relentless. Like if I have decided I'm going to figure this shit out, I don't care if I have to work 24 hours a day you know, until my fingers are worn to the bone. And I am like, I don't care. I will get it done. Like I am relentless. Stubborn. So I, you know, I, so I would approach Girl, I would approach these problems the same exact way, so much so that when I eventually had to go to sleep, because they were shutting off lights, you know, it's, ta- every, it's time to go to sleep. So it, they're shutting us down, and I'm still with a flashlight, like, under my covers, trying to work on these projects, or trying to work on these problems. And I would have this little notepad by my desk. I would go to sleep, and I shit you not. I probably said say shit, I'm sorry. Don't apologize. Um, Let I, it fly. <laughs> I kid you not. My brain would still be working on the problem while I'm asleep. And I would wake up out of my sleep like, ah, that's what it is. And I would like flip on the light and like write down the answer. And my roommates would be like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) I cannot tell you how often (laughs) that happens. Just dream of, you're dreaming of equations. I'm dreaming of a crazy. It, it's the. It is the craziest thing. I have never had. You that have the worst dreams, Olivia. <laughs> the, worst. the worst. These sound like nightmares. <laughs> this is the level of crazy the academy had me at. <laughs> oh man. Okay, Olivia, do you feel that you are a better leader than the ones you grew up under? I mean, so I'm going to give you type of a cheeky answer, but I would hope so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right? that's, that's a good answer. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I believe good leaders, bad leaders, you learn from both of them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And if you are a student, um, and like I said, I'm a lifelong learner. Like, I feel like I can learn something from everyone, and I'm always seeking to be a little bit better today than I was yesterday, right? So I have to take in more inputs. Um, And so if you're watching leaders, good ones and bad ones, you should be able to take the lessons you learn and evolve, Right. Right. So I would hope all of the leaders and I had some really great ones, black, white, Asian, Hispanic. I mean, I had some really good leaders in the Coast Guard. I also had some really shitty ones. (laughs) Um, And so I would hope that 
the good ones, you know, that I aspired to be like, that I had gathered enough input from them and other great leaders that my, the summation of knowledge from all of these leaders would propel me past any one of them individually. Um, <laughs> but of course, as an engineer, can I say that for a fact? No, I can't validate that, but, but I would hope so. That's actually the perfect answer. <laughs> How, but just to circle back to a previous question real quick, you did state that you didn't bring complaints up to your chain of command because of how unhelpful they were, how unhelpful they would be. As an officer, you were a part of someone's chain of command. Do you feel, yep. do you feel that the environment that you provided your subordinates was safer than the one you were provided with? Like, could people bring problems to you with the expectation of action? Absolutely. Then you're a better and leader, I, period. <laughs> now, I will tell you, some of the good leaders that I had, to be fair, I didn't have any problems under their command, so there was nothing to report up to them. Okay. Because there were no problems. That's right? fair. That's very but, fair. But for... But for some of the, the not so great ones, yeah, I was like, you're terrible. There's no point in wasting my, my breath here. Back in those days, I was a woman of few words. So I was like, there is no point in talking to this Yahoo about anything because they're not going to do anything. You said now, Yahoo. Oh, my God. Yahoo. <laughs> yep, I love it. I no, I love it. We're keeping it. <laughs> that's what I used to call it. Um, but I will tell you this, this my last unit – if you talk to anyone that was under my engineering command, it was almost bad. The engineers were like a cult. And I would tell them, you're going to work hard, but we're going to play hard. You work hard for me, I'm going to take care of you. You right don't on. work hard for me, your life is going to be miserable because my standards are very high. <laughs> um, and so it was really important to me from a leadership perspective, what I learned is to set my expectations early and clearly. So everyone knew I had two rules. We would never, we would never miss movement because of the engineers. No one could be able to say we didn't get underway or we couldn't accomplish the mission because something was broken. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. my second rule was we don't ask for help. We don't get contractors to come on our boat. We're not going to go crying to um, the center to say, hey, we can't figure out this casualty. Send us text. And the reason I had that rule is because this was our home. Right. We lived on this boat. Mm -hmm. So when you invite someone into your home, they don't care about your home like you care about your home. Because when they're gone and they're at home in safety, we're at sea, and we're left with the ramifications of whatever they did or did not do. So we don't ask for help. We don't invite strangers into our home. We fix it ourselves. Those were my two rules. Oh, y'all are a cult. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a cult. But, but for everybody else on the ship, they knew you don't F with the engineers. If you mess with my people, oh, you better prepare yourself because all hell is about to break loose. I would make it known. You do not mess with the engineers, period. I love so it. my team, um, wherever we went, like I would, I mean, this is probably not great, but we would often have casualties that we would have to stay late. And I didn't care if the casualty was in main prop and, you know, the DCs and the electricians and, uh, you know, A-gang didn't have anything to do. We were a family. We were going to figure it out together. 
we were going to sink and swim together. So it was all hands on deck. Anytime anything was going on, we stayed and we helped each other out. Okay. Um, So when we partied, I would frequently be like, here's my credit card. Give them whatever they want. Get it. I took care of them. Right. Um, And believe me, back in those days, we, we definitely worked hard, but we, we, equal level of playing hard probably i i think at this day and age in the coast guard probably would not fly but you know but we we had some fun too now i will say open tab on olivia oh yeah oh yeah they'd be like you did what and i'd be like yeah i know that wasn't great but the guy we're drinking top shelf all night on her vividly to to hammer home this point you know my brand on the ship was that i was firm but fair good um guys would say that about me i was firm but i was fair and i treated everyone equally whether you were someone i liked or someone i didn't care for my fundamental belief as a leader is that you need to love your people you don't need to like them but you need to love them and if you can't love your people then you don't deserve the privilege of leading right on these people because it's a privilege, right? So there were some of them that I didn't like very much, but I took (laughs) care of them equally because that was my vow as a leader. And I I remember the situation, we had a Mm Y-in-one and his grandmother died Mm -hmm. and his grandmother raised him, Mm -hmm. right? So we were getting underway or maybe we were already underway, but we were in a poor call. We might've been in Key West or something. And he gets this call that his grandmother is dying, like she's got like two days or something to live. And this is the woman that raised him, right? His mother wasn't in the picture or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think our policy at the time is that you would only get leave if it was an immediate family member, mm-hmm. right? So if it was a mother or father, yes. But if it was an aunt, uncle, grandparent, whatever, that didn't qualify for leave. Well, I thought that was bullshit. Thank you. And so the YN1 went to his officer and his officer i'm just gonna not label uh what i wanted to say because it was not very nice but (laughs) his officer was non-functioning and so (laughs) needless to say his officer was like no because he didn't want to rattle you know didn't want to create any waves didn't want to fight for his people so his officer was shit all right yeah yeah yeah. exactly so (laughs) i clearly developed a brand on the ship where i didn't care i would go toe-to-toe with literally anyone i did not care to take care of my people and to do what was what I felt was the right thing to do. Um, so the wine one came to me and he told me the story and I was like, this is bullshit. Yeah. So I went to the captain, you know, I skipped the other officer. I didn't give him the courtesy and I did it intentionally Good. because you, your person came to you. You chose to do nothing. You don't deserve the courtesy of a head right. job in my mind. So I went right to the captain as the EO because he was my boss. I did not need to go to the XO. And the XL was awful, but that's a story for another day. And said, hey, here's the situation. We don't need the YN1. It's not like the YN1 was a a critical OOD or, you know, was a critical EOW or a Mm -hmm, critical mm -hmm. member of the crew that we couldn't do without for Mm -hmm. a couple days. I think it would have been like a week, max two weeks before we hit our new port call and we could collect him back. We did not need him for this short period of time. So I went and talked to the captain. Captain agreed and he got to got to go off and um, see his grandmother off. When I tell you I caught shit for that, the XL was so mad. Why didn't you come to me? And I had already said no. And I was like, well, you made a bad call and I fixed it. You're welcome. 
Because fuck you, that's why. Exactly. <laughs> I literally said, you made a bad call. I fixed it. You're welcome. <laughs> why did you come? Because fuck you. Exactly. Like, do the right thing, dude. Like, do the right thing. You're going to tell me. It hurt no literally why. no one for this wine one to go watch his grandmother or see her off into glory, into her exactly. forever. It cost exactly. nobody anything. Exactly. Jesus. Exactly. So that, when I was in, that was my brand to give you a prime example. So they knew I was going to take care of my people, but. You can take care of somebody else's me, people too. <laughs> that yeoman on, did not on, fall under you. <laughs> on certain occasions, I would drift outside of my lane, but I was very hyper aware of drifting outside of my lane. If I drifted outside of my lane is because it triggered, it triggered something in my core values that I was like, this isn't right. I'm going to go fix it. Right. But I very rarely did things like that outside of my, you know, direct chain of command, because I was also very respectful of, you know, other people. If you want to be a bad leader, that's on you. I don't know what to tell you. My responsibility is over here. <laughs> right. But if it triggered a core value, I felt the need to step up and I'm still that way to this day. <laughs> Damn, I love that. Oh my God. Yo. It was a small applause, but like, it's all I got. <laughs> and, and as a former yeoman, Hey, thanks for looking out. Good, good looking out. Cause that, that you weren't in that person's uh, direct chain of command, but you helped them out anyways. Like, thank you. Yeah. You gotta do the right thing. Right. Yeah. To. Heck yeah. All right. Are there any sisters in service that inspired you, past or present? It doesn't matter. Oh, gosh. So many. I already <laughs> listed a couple of them. Uh, Kim Young McClear, yes. Carrie Wolf, mm -hmm. Chrissy Rutherford, Andrea Parker, Nicole Carter. I mean, so many. So many. Are these women that you've met, are they mentors? Are they friends? Like, do you keep in touch with them? Has there been, like, a real connection? Because, like, women that inspire me... Sometimes I haven't met them, but like they're still inspirational. It sounds like you've met most of these, uh, most of these ladies. Is that true for you? Um, most of them, yes, but some of them I've watched from afar, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I think there are certain people the way they move, right? I don't know if that makes sense when I say that, no, but no, it makes the way sense. they. Yeah, the way they carry themselves, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. how they address issues, how they show up in the world serve as an inspiration for me. So there are, you know, a couple of these women that I'm not close with, but I'm watching them from afar. I watch their online presence. I watch the impact that they have on others. And they're pretty incredible. So, I, you know, I would say to your first question about, um, my experience in the Coast Guard, you have you, you have the good and you have the bad. But what I will say is the Coast Guard does an amazing job of kicking out some pretty awesome people. If you make it through the academy into the field, you lead people, you know, just by the nature of what you're having to do every day, you end up being a pretty solid human being. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Some of my favorite black ladies, just a handful, I've either served with or I just knew them from the Coast Guard. We've got some phenomenal ladies. Yes. All right. Let's say you were just starting your life on your own and you were presented with the chance to join the service for the first time. Knowing what you know now, would you still join? 
Yeah, I mean, so I say that hesitantly <laughs> because cautiously, it's like the but curse yes, of knowledge, right? It, it's the curse of knowledge. I mean, it was hard. You know, it was hard. You yeah. went through it, right? <laughs> like boot camp is hard. Swamp summer is hard. The academy is hard. Like I was enlisted. I didn't go through the academy. What, what, I mean, what is goose poop, Olivia? <laughs> I hear you, but whether you're enlisted or officer, choose your heart. It's all hard. You're right. You are correct. Right? No path is easier than, than the other. I just want to make that really clear. Like, yeah, the academy was hard, but but you Thanks. know what the enlisted folks are going through are equally it different, but still but still Facts. difficult. You Facts. know? Mm-hmm. So when you have that curse of knowledge, knowing how <laughs> difficult it is to wrap your head around and be like, man, I gotta I'm going to be away from family. I'm going to be at sea, like the the alarms, thinking you're going to die every other day because the weather's crap, like being seasick, you know, on, on top of just trying to do your actual job. It's a lot to be like, God, I know that and I'm going to sign up for it anyway. But my answer <laughs> is still yes. Gotcha. My answer is still yes, because <laughs> It gave me the experiences. All of us were just a summation of our experiences. Okay. We are. Yes. Right? You are correct. So if we didn't have these trying experiences, we wouldn't be the people that we are today. And I like who I am today. So right. I would say, yeah, I'd, I'd do it again. That's what's up. That's what's up. And since you left the academy and you left the Coast Guard with a mechanical engineering degree... If you don't mind my asking, and I can absolutely edit this out if you'd like, are you still working as a mechanical engineer? Oh my God, no. <laughs> I mean, no. And it's hilarious, right? I choose the most difficult yes. career path to then leave the Coast Guard and not do a lick of engineering. Olivia, you chose to be one of one in your class of mechanical engineering's mechanical engineers and then in the coast guard in general and you don't even use that no more nothing i haven't done a doggone equation in probably 20 years you could have just went to human resources for this no i'm I'm kidding i'm kidding no no well hilariously i am in human resources i didn't know that that was just i was just pulling it out of the air i didn't know that no, but you know what's funny about this story? I'm not, I'm, like, I have to tell you this real quick story. What's funny about this is as life would have it, uh, you know, life happens. So I met my husband on my last uh, unit. And um, so I got out. He stayed in. Okay. So when I transitioned into the civilian space, I was, of course, looking for something technical. But I had no, te- for the first time in my life, I had no plan because I met this man, fell in love with him, was like, all right, I'm doing this no backup plan. Right. (laughs) So, and the transition program, by the way, if you're transitioning out of the military and you're trying to figure out how to get established in the civilian space, call me. I am willing to help anyone that reaches out because there are not enough resources to help us transition, transition effectively. Not, not enough. Um, And the ones that are there don't even scratch the surface. So anyways, 
I transition, um, and I actually joined Lucas Group. Um, so Lucas Group is kind of a military headhunter. You don't pay for the service. The companies that are hiring military talent, they pay for the service. So I joined Lucas Group because I needed help. I had no idea what I was doing. Didn't know, yeah, I'd never done a resume, like none of that, right? I was ill-prepared to transition into the civilian space. <laughs> so I transitioned through Lucas Group. They prepped me for interviews. You know, they match me with companies. They get to know me. They're like, oh, these companies we feel like will be a good fit for you. They match me with this med device company called Striker. I didn't know what, what med, medical device meant, N- none of it. <laughs> they were like, look, just, just trust us. The environment is one that you're going to love. Just trust us, do the interview. Sure enough, they were right. I did the interview. Absolutely loved the two ladies that interviewed me. They talked me into supply chain. Okay. okay. I didn't know what the heck supply chain was. <laughs> so what they were looking for was a project manager, which of course I could do as a, as a military engineer, that would help launch new products. So I was the go-between between research and development and operations, right? So I was helping with that handoff. It was perfect for me because I understood the engineering piece of it so I could speak the lingo. And then it was an easy handoff just through, you know, attention to detail and basic project management, frankly, to pass the information over to operations. Mm -hmm. And I learned a ton about the inner workings of the business in that role. Two to three years after that, my husband got promoted and we needed to move from California to Michigan. So at that point in time, this is before remote work was cool, right? This is like 2015-ish, maybe 2014. So I go to HR and I'm like, all right, well, Obviously, I can't do this project management job remotely. What do you have for me? And I tell them, look, I'm a military spouse. I do not want to be looking for a job every two to three years. Like, that sounds like a hell for me. What can I do? Can you guys work with me? And credit to my former company, they were like, yeah, of course we can work for you. And the the my, my boss in HR, uh, my future boss at the time, was like, well, we have this we have this opening in HR um, supporting sales, right? So supporting the commercial side of the business. Would you be interested? You could do that remote because sales is, doesn't come into the office. I responded, what the hell does HR do anyways? Are you guys like party planners? Like what? You, no idea. <laughs> wow. Right? <laughs> Literally no idea. Are y'all like MWR for the civilian world? That's what, that's right. what it sounded like. <laughs> Because I was so naive, like I had no idea what HR, you think HR and you think it's this warm and fluffy, you know, function. It's just all hugs and cupcakes. I promise you it is not. Um, And kudos to my, my former boss now. She won for seeing enough in me, right? Seeing the potential that she's like, I can teach you the basics the rest, you know, you got the right personality for it. You'll be fine. And, but then also taking a chance on me, right? Not being offended by my ignorance to the function, (laughs) taking a chance on me um, and really setting the foundation for what would end up being a pretty amazing career for me. And the great thing about HR, I would say, is, you know, engineering is the science of machinery. That's how I look at it. Mm -hmm. HR is just the science of people. Right. Right? Agreed. So, As a good HR leader, you have to have mastery over the business, but even more so, the business doesn't get done if you can't figure out how to get the people aligned to the mission, engaged, you know, 
following through on these things that you that you need to do. So I approach my job in HR almost identically to how I approached my job as an engineer. It's a problem to solve. It's instead of equations, it's different things, but it's still just every day a people puzzle to solve. Right on. Agreed. <laughs> if you had a daughter or any young impressionable black girl in your life that you cared about and she was considering a life in the military, would you try to talk her out of joining? No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. Um, specific, I can't speak to the other branches of the military because I don't have any data to say, but if they were specifically considering the Coast Guard, over the years, I've encouraged many women okay. to join. Now, I told them the truth. Like, look, you're going to have to stand on your own two feet. If you think you're going to go to the academy and find a husband and it's going to be all peaches <laughs> and cream, this is not for you, my love. Okay? This, is, this is not the life for you. Um, so I do give them a healthy dose of reality, but I also tell them the benefits. I mean, especially in this day and age, you go to the academy. I don't know where the academy ranks now, but like specifically for engineering, when I was looking at it, it was like top three, maybe it was top five engineering schools in the country, right? So you get a great education. You have mm -hmm. no student loans, right? Student loans are killing people in these streets. Telling you. Right? Right. So you get no student loan and then you get practical application of your degree through five years of guaranteed service. Like you cannot get yourself fired. You would have to do something real stupid to get yourself fired. <laughs> right. So you've got five years of guaranteed experience, no student loan and a foundational leadership experience that will last you a lifetime. What? Sign me up. Yes, please. Right. On. Right. So I encourage it. I think I, I think specifically the Coast Guard has a lot to offer um, if you're looking at the opportunity through the right lens. Okay. Okay. I was about to ask, well, what makes this, the Coast Guard so special? But I think you already answered that. <laughs> Olivia, recruitment yeah. and retention is down across all the branches and with all demographics. Black women are not excluded from that. This was true even before the pandemic. Why do you think black women are so disinterested in joining the military? I mean, if anybody's been listening. <laughs> <laughs> there is so many reasons previously stated. <laughs> There's so many. There's Actually, so many. I would advocate that there is one good reason to join. <laughs> and it's because, hey, if you go to the Coast Guard Academy and someone pops off at you, you have a good excuse for hitting them and you can still have a career. <laughs> Now, listen, that was a long time ago. I don't know if you're going to get away with it. These Look, they're going to send you to anger management, but like your anger was already managed anyways. That's why it took you so long to hit her in the first place. Oh, I was having a day. I was like, oh, you're going to learn today. Today's going to be the day. Today's going to be the day. I'm, for the record, again, I am not proud of that. For the record, um, I very much am. <laughs> We will disagree on this all you want. That was a good oh. moment for me. <laughs> I love this oh, one. It's not, it's not great. It's not great. It felt good, though. I'm not going to lie. It, it sounded good. Olivia, it sounds great. It felt great. It felt great. Um, there's a lot of reasons, right? I think mm -hmm. to come back to your question, McKinsey coined the term only mm -hmm. back in 2018 when they did their Women in the Workplace study. 
And what they found is if you're an only, which means you're you're the only woman in a male-dominated space, maybe you're the only man in a female-dominated space like nursing or like hairdressing, something like that, for example, or if you are, you know, if you're somebody with a disability and you're in an enabled space, things like that, you have you feel what McKinsey calls microaggressions, right? Which mm-hmm. is just all the isms we talked about, racism, sexism, you know, all the isms you feel twice as much than if there was somebody else of your kind in that space. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we already, we already kind of went through the numbers and as a black woman in most spaces, you're going to be an only, especially if you're a black woman in STEM, right? The numbers mm-hmm. across the board are pretty low. You're going to be an only. Now you layer on top of that, the military experience. It's like, why would you put yourself through that? <laughs> right. And if you're, and layer on the military experience, you can't even quit that. Because right. if you're graduate, you owe five years of service. So it's not like when you're in the corporate space, you're like, I don't like this job. They're not treating me right. I'm feeling the microaggression. Screw this. I'm going to go find another job. You are stuck. (laughs) Right? Right. So I think that's what makes it so challenging to think about because you really have to, you're committed. Once you sign on that line, you're Uncle Sam's property. You owe him a certain amount of time. And whether you like it or not is irrelevant. You better figure it out. Mm. Right? right? And that is the piece that makes it so difficult because come hell or high water, you got to see your way through this thing. Right? right? So I think it's very important if you are going to make the decision, you need to go into this eyes wide open to know it's going to be miserable. It's going to be difficult, but there is tremendous benefit on the back end if you can see your way through it. Embrace the suck. Embrace the suck. <laughs> I, I heard somebody else say that. I was like, I will not. And here I am quoting them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a true statement. We don't, we, yo, you want to say, well, God, I'm going to fight the suck. Fight it if you want. You're going to be exhausted. Right. Right. <laughs> If you were conducting this interview from where I'm sitting, what questions would you have asked you that I did not ask you? Well, I think the only thing that we missed, and I know you're probably going to be like, Olivia, you should be a politician. I promise you, I shouldn't. <laughs> Look, but, I said it I, earlier, you go, in, go in office. I know, but... Give me the chance well, to vote for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like, to, I like to think I'm a pretty balanced human. I'm going to call the BS when I see the BS, but I'm also going to call it if, if, you know, it's not completely accurate. And I, I would say, um, in terms of allies and mentors that didn't look like me, I had a ton of them too. Okay. Right. Um, there were a lot of, as a matter of fact, I had several, both in the Coast Guard and in my civilian space, specifically white men that have been my biggest champions that have shown me the ropes that have opened the curtain for me that maybe I wouldn't have been able to access by myself due to, you know, my exterior wrapping here, being a female and being (laughs) black, that they invited me behind the curtain. They kicked down the door and they were like, fuck you other fuckers. We don't care if you don't want Olivia here. She's coming in. Right. (laughs) So I think it's, you know, 
yes, we have to be aware of reality. We can't live our life in rose colored glasses to say, oh, racism doesn't exist. That is a bold faced lie. Um, Mm -hmm. Sexism doesn't exist. Bold faced lie. All (laughs) those things happen. But I would say it is also important for us to remain balanced, to call it out when we see it immediately um, in hopes of preventing the woman behind us from having to go through the same nonsense. But I would also say, don't paint everyone with the same brush because you'd be surprised who opens the next door for you. All right. Yo, I love it. It's nice to know that allies do exist and that you had a lot of them. Did you have any black allies as well? I have to ask because because this is, you know, our podcast. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, most of my, the predominant, the majority of my allies were black. All right. But I think for the ones that weren't for me, oh, they rode for me. So I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that. I love it. I love it. You had help. I love that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Olivia, I didn't give you this question in advance because element of surprise. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So I know you don't see this one coming, but uh, what's your favorite Beyonce song? Oh, my God. You're, you're about to be mad at me. Oh, don't make me hang up this phone. I, if, if you say something. All right, go ahead, Olivia. What you got? I don't even listen. I don't even listen to <laughs> I could not tell you a single, I couldn't tell you a, girl, I could not tell you a title. You know, I loved you so much before. (laughs) This was such a great interview. I cannot believe it came to this so quickly. It was, it was such a crash. It was such a fall from victory. I'm so sorry. We were almost home. I was like, this is a great lady. I love her. I love her. I love her. I get to this one question and (sighs) Olivia, she released an entire album last year. She's had a whole world tour and you're telling me you can't even name a song. Nope. (sighs) You know what? And you know what it is? Just go back to the engine room. All right. (laughs) Listen, I would tell you, I am a nonconformist. If if most people are going right, I'm going left. I'm like, I don't know what's going on over there, but I don't want it. <laughs> wow. Wow. I just have not gotten into it. And if you if you looked at my playlist right now, it is so eclectic, right? I I listen to music that settles my mind, mm-hmm. if you will. And it I mean, a lot of reggae. But a whole lot of, like, no-name, you know, like, obscure artists that I just vibe to. I, I don't know. <laughs> that, that's fine, Olivia. You know what? Because you said you needed something to settle your mind, and Beyonce is nobody's settlement. So there's that. <laughs> so maybe it's a good thing you don't know who she is. Fair enough. I mean, I know who she is, right? I know who the Queen Bee is, but Th- I just... Thank you, you know, thank you, thank you. I don't follow along. I don't follow. And the, these... Tour tickets for a that girl. You know, don't judge not, lest you be judged. All right. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I got nothing. All right. You know what? After that disappointing answer, <laughs> is there? Now you wish you would have asked me that. You would have showed me that question in advance, huh? No, no. This was an authentic answer, and I don't. I don't want anyone 
fabricating their answer on Beyonce's music. So I'm glad I did not include this with the uh, the original questions. <laughs> uh, Olivia, is there anything you would like to leave our audience with? Um. Well, now I feel like I have to redeem myself. <laughs> <laughs> But I think I would say this, uh, two things. Mm -hmm. Um, Leadership is an honor and a privilege. Get it. And everyone leads, Mm -hmm. whether you actually have a title and people reporting to you or you're an individual contributor, everyone leads. But for those of us that do have the responsibility of a title and a formal reporting structure, you are going to have an impact on the lives of the people that you have been entrusted to lead. So have a positive one um, and choose your path wisely. If you're in this for yourself, do us all a favor and remove yourself because (laughs) you are impacting the world in a negative way. And Mm -hmm. karma, I'm telling you, it's something I believe in. So if you don't care about these people, you need to go find a different line of work. Be honest with yourself and be honest with those that you lead um, and either find the strength to love them or do something else. I love Um, that. Yeah. And then lastly, I just want to do a quick plug. So as I mentioned, you have a show. um, Tell us about it. Yes. So we we have a show. I say we because I have a a co-host and she's equally as awesome. Her name is Archita Fritz. (laughs) Uh, She lives in Dusseldorf, Germany. Um, we, she's also an engineer, former engineer turned marketing executive. Um, and we have a program called embracing only, um, and it's titled embracing only because of what I just, you know, told everyone about (laughs) the, this label only Mm -hmm. is now being used to describe these unique experiences that we as black and brown women have, um, in, all of these spaces that we potentially show up as onlys. And the purpose of the show is to tell you that you can have anything your heart desires. What you need is a plan, right? Mm -hmm. And so we seek to highlight the stories of women who are onlys that are out here thriving. I mean, these women are killing the game. And if (laughs) they can do it, you can do it too. And we want to be that voice at your kitchen table to show you how to make it happen. So if you're interested, please join us. Mm-hmm. You can find us on LinkedIn at Embracing Only, on Instagram at Embracing Only. Mm-hmm. We're not really on Facebook, um, but both of us also offer coaching services. So depending on what you need, whether it's business or career strategy, uh, either Archita and I also offer coaching services. So please interact with us come see us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Also, I would like to add in, uh, I've listened to a couple of episodes of your show and she's not wrong, y'all. They go in. It is <laughs> it is therapeutic how deeply they go in. They, oh man, listen, listen. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate you're, you're, that. You're going to get something. You're going to walk away with a lesson no matter which episode you start with. And they do have a couple of episodes, a lot of episodes out. Also, also, you can listen to her podcast anywhere where quality content is disseminated. Um, I think I listen to you on Apple, but you are available on more than you're available in a lot, a lot of places. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Uh, if you're listening to this uh, outside of YouTube, you, you are probably listening to it on a platform where you can also listen to Embracing Only. So um, did I miss did I miss something? Did I mess up something? 
Nope, you sure did it. You nailed it. Thank you. That's what's up. That's what's up. (laughs) All right, Olivia, thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for this interview. You you knocked all these questions out the park. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, It's a pleasure. And, you know, we'd like to have you on the podcast sometime so you can join Archie and I's shenanigans. I'm with it. You know I'm with it. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's a it's a green light. It's a yes. It's a yeah. Uh, go. <laughs> All that. I'm with it. I love it. Absolutely. Thank. Well, thank you for joining my podcast. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. So we're going to wrap up this interview. And bye now. And that concludes this episode of the Season Vet Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. And a special thank you to Lieutenant Olivia Grant Cream for sharing her story and taking the time to make this interview possible. If you look in the notes of this episode, you'll not only notice a link to Olivia's podcast, but you'll see that the episode that I've linked is her interview with Commander Kimberly Young McClear. If you want to give your ears a real treat, go ahead and listen to that episode right after you finish listening to this one. Now, if you are or know a Black Lady veteran who would like to sit down with me and be a part of the show, please email me at seasonvetpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can call or text message me at 713-254-0970. You can also find, follow, and inbox me, The Season Vet, across all platforms of social media. At Real Season Vet on Twitter, at Season Vet Podcast on Instagram, at Season Vet Podcast on TikTok, at Season Vet on YouTube, Season Vet on Facebook. Y'all, I'm so out there, I'm even on Spoutable. That's at the Season Vet on Spoutable. Now, if you like what you heard, please like it, share it, rate it, and leave a good review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And if you're hearing this episode on the day that it drops, then you're listening to it on October 16th, 2023. Today is the 55th anniversary of the Olympics Black Power Salute in Mexico City. On October 16th, 1968, Tommy Smith and John Carlos won first and third place in the 200-meter sprint. After winning, they took the podium and raised their fists during the playing of the national anthem. This was a silent and peaceful protest meant to bring light to the racial discrimination and violence against black people in America. They were suspended two days later and never allowed to compete in the Olympics again. Today is also the 28th anniversary of the historical Million Man March on Washington, D.C. that took place on October 16, 1995. Thank you again for tuning in, and until next time, ball out.